my name is Carol Tonieri, and I'm the chief curator of the Norton Simon Museum. My guest today is my noted colleague, Dr. Walter Liedke, who for the past 30 years has been the specialist and curator at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. His role is overseeing the brilliant holdings of Dutch, Flemish, and Spanish paintings before 1800. Dr. Liedke is the prolific author of catalogs and articles on the 17th century master painter Johannes Vermeer of Delft, whose life was short-lived, whose output was rare, and who has been venerated by successive artists and generations of viewers alike. The Met holds the record for ownership of Vermeer's in the United States, five, and from July 8th through September 26th, 2011, the Met has most graciously agreed to lend to the Norton Simon Museum its hauntingly beautiful Woman with a Lute from around 1662 to 1663 and produced when the artist was about 30 years old. Welcome, Walter. Hello, Carol. Thank you for agreeing to talk with us today for this momentous loan. I mentioned that you've written many catalogs about Vermeer, but in your catalog that accompanied the Met and the London National Gallery exhibitions about 10 years ago on Vermeer and the Delft School, you describe this young woman that's sitting in this painting as a modern Venus in search of an Adonis or Mars. Do we know much about Vermeer's women? Is, is this Venus or any other of his female sitters identified perhaps as his wife, the mother of his 11 children? Well, many attempts have been made to identify family members of Vermeer, and they're plausible models on a, uh, in some cases, but no one has ever really convincingly identified his wife or one of his daughters as the model for one of his pictures. In this picture, woman with a lute is quite individualized, and so you think that she may depend on a particular model, although... At the same time, her nose, her brow line are a bit almost ancient Greek uh, in look, but the brow, the eyes, the mouth look more distinctive. This is affected by the fashion of the time of plucking eyebrows and the hairline. You'll notice she has an enormous forehead, and that's true for a number of Vermeer's women. And, and if you go on to artists of the period like Metsu and others, you'll, you'll find it there too. So I think this is meant to be an attractive young woman in an upper-middle-class home, marriageable age, quite fancy in her costume. This is not what she would normally wear around the house. She has what's meant as an ermine-trimmed, that's the white collar, velvet jacket, which is yellow, we know such a jacket in Vermeer's own inventory, but it wasn't necessarily ermine-trimmed. They frequently bleached rabbit or something and imitated ermine. And the colossal pearl earring that we see in the center, at least center of attention in this picture, would not have been in Vermeer's possession, most likely, because that would be worth five or 600 guilders, which is a middle-class annual income, 
but they imported glass imitations of pearl earrings. So it could be stage costume in a sense. Speaking of the accoutrement that that appear often in his pictures, I mean, we we almost feel as if we know this corner intimately, or at least the setup with the tiles on the floor and the right. leaded windows, the finials on the chairs that depict the, that very dramatic profile of a lion. But are we reading too much into this picture if we are looking for symbolism or if we're looking for meaning? Does the map indeed hold a significant well, this, message? This painting, the painting has a distinctive theme. Your question's actually two questions in one, and one of them is what we're seeing in the painting. Does it relate to what Vermeer actually saw before his eyes or in his own house? And mm-hmm. There was uh, Swillens back in the 30s who tried to reconstruct date Vermeer's paintings based on the changing window sashes. Well, you know, it seems like they had a real window problem in Vermeer's house because the (laughs) sashes change every one or two years. And, you know, the more you look at Vermeer's compositions and also look at 20 or 30 other genre painters at the same time, you realize that he's employing schemes of composition and motifs that are in broader circulation. The tile floors, for example, marble-tiled floors did not exist in the Netherlands except in the small foyers of a few great Amsterdam houses and one or two princely palaces and the occasional large room of a town hall, but never in domestic architecture in Mm -hmm. towns like Delft, not even the painted faux bois or faux marble tile floors. Similarly, when you look at Vermeer's inventory, you never find a tapestry, a brass chandelier, or a musical instrument, for example, in the complete inventory of his house made at his death in 1675, which included his wife's and his mother-in-law's possessions. So those are introduced arbitrarily by Vermeer. We do get, of course, references to chairs, but not even maps. And Mm -hmm. this kind of map we see on the wall, which is a large parchment map of Europe with text running around the borders. And in the case of the map, of the Netherlands in the art of painting in Vienna, we have all of these engraved vignettes around the border. Those were really quite expensive. They were varnished and hung on wooden rods, and the varnish means that they don't descend to our time. They were ruined by the Mm short-term preservation. But the point generally for Vermeer is that these are all luxury items. Some of these rooms that he painted look quite spare to us, but to people of the period, pearl necklace, a lute, songbooks such as we have here, even the leaded glass in the window communicates at least upper middle class standing. In terms of its meaning, its iconography, it is consistent with that scenario that it's a bit more self-evident in meaning. This is a woman with a lute, she's tuning it, in the foreground on the ground in the shadows by a chair pushed back is a big viola da gamba. And then spilling across the tabletop, we see three songbooks, and they they move to the right almost like surf, like waves coming in, and then topple off the corner 
which brings your eye down to the big viola. And there's one songbook on the floor. The broad format of these books tells us that they must be songbooks, and of course, so does the occasion. So this is a young lady who expects a suitor to show up and pick up the viola da gamba, which is a a bass line. She would play chords on the lute, and they would sing a third part, the melody of popular, probably, love songs. And this is the way that elegant people of the time frequently socialized and courted. So her glance out the window, she's not thinking about nature or the bus passing by or whatever. This is a very expectant look as to, you know, when this lover may show up. And the map of Europe uh, on the wall with ships at sea may very well suggest that the man she expects has been away for quite some time, and she's eager to see him. It should be said, by the way, that a painting like this would take at least three months to produce, given the underpainting and the subtleties and very thin layers of paint. Their effects together, and some of them are rather precious materials, particularly Vermeer's blues. And they would have to dry, and they're underpainted in a certain way. So, you know, this is... He didn't say, hold it to this lady while I get the picture down. And he is using compositional devices like the shadowy chair in the foreground with the lion finials on it. It should be clear that this woman is like a little pyramid locked within rectangles Mm -hmm. uh, formed by the table the window, the map on the wall, the chair to the right is there essentially as a formal element. And if you just look at the way her arm tuning the lute, the neck of the lute, the way her head is turned, the way that relates to the lion's head finial in the foreground, and especially the way the neck of the lute is locked in like a piece of a puzzle and the corner of the map with the bar pointing at the neck, the back of the woman's head. And you'll note the elbow of the raised arm just clears the edge of the table. And it's it's almost like physiognomy going through some geometric canal there. So these proportions and relationships of shape in Vermeer are worked out with enormous care. Vermeer's the type of artist that many people say that they cannot visit the Met without making a pilgrimage to see your paintings, your five paintings by this master. Those rooms must be two of the most heavily visited galleries in your museum. Why do Vermeer's paintings resonate so strongly with even popular 21st century taste when he was almost forgotten for two centuries that followed his death. What is it that draws us to Vermeer, do you think? Well, I I think it's partly the haunting naturalism or realism of the image, which at the same time seems somehow suspended, so Mm -hmm. that it's almost a photographic image in a dream or in your imagination. That's a good way to put it. You know, it's a picture that you expect to move to be almost more naturalistic than what it looks like, and yet it doesn't move, and you can sense, even if you don't know 
the ways in which it's idealized. It has such haunting poise and equilibrium. These pictures signal a kind of peace and, and harmony, even when there's some action suggested, as in the turning of the head and the strumming of the woman here. That's part of it. And I think it also says something about us. I mean, especially in the Met, you come in from Manhattan with honking horns and busy people who generally have at most 45 seconds to talk to you. And then you stand in front of this image which never changes and seems to represent a quieter, more peaceful time. And actually that's significant historically for Vermeer and the date of these pictures because, of course, 1648, when Vermeer was quite a young man, a teenager, was the uh, independence of the Netherlands was arranged at the Peace of Munster. And this is the end of the Eighty Years' War, the last 30 years of which we know as the Thirty Years' War against the Kingdom of Spain. So previous generations had really suffered through economic and wartime hardships. And finally, you have the most prosperous period for, I think you could say, any single culture in Europe to date, in terms of prosperity, literacy, peace, that was above all the Dutch Republic in the 1650s and, and 60s. So it's somewhat comparable to maybe the 1950s in, in America after mm -hmm. World War II, that themes of the home, of love, of family, of basic things that you want out of life, which are no longer immediately threatened are represented in these pictures. So it's not just Vermeer. There was a, a great development, efflorescence of peaceful domestic imagery at this time. Well, we and, are over the moon knowing that we'll have this particular picture in our midst for the summer. And I send you my thanks, Walter, for taking the time to speak with us about this enigmatic painter and this beautiful, beautiful painting, and also to your colleagues at the Met who will be without this icon for most of your summer. You well, thanks, and I can't wait to see it out there in what I think of as the most exquisite museum in California, maybe, <laughs> in well, the entire you. west of the country, and so it's a suitable location for this exquisite picture. Thank you. We're going to enjoy her immensely. We Hope for all of you listening that you will come to see this beautiful picture and make as many numerous visits as you can to see Woman with the Lute by Ioannis Vermeer this summer at the Norton Simon Museum. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. Copyright in this podcast is held by the Norton Simon Art Foundation. All rights reserved. This exhibition is supported by an indemnity from the Federal Council on the Arts and the Humanities. <laughs>